Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here in person, or if you're watching online, great to have you with us. My name is Nathan. I'm going to be leading our service uh, together at LCBC uh, today, this morning. Um, and as we begin, I just wanted to ask a question, uh, a question for you to slow down, to stop, to think about. Uh, I wonder how it is that you've come this morning. What's been going on? How do you feel? Why are you here? And I guess the great thing about this morning, however you might have answered any of those questions, is that coming to church together is a brilliant chance to stop, to slow down. A brilliant chance to take your eyes off of yourself for a moment. A brilliant chance to take your eyes off of life for a second. And to fix your eyes on something bigger and something better. Someone bigger, someone better. And to do that this morning, there's going to be lots of things to help you do that. It can be hard, can't it? It can be hard to try and do it by ourselves. But the service is set up to help you do that by singing songs. Uh, by hearing prayers and joining in with them, from hearing from God's word, whether that's read to us or preached to us, as Neil comes a little, a little bit later on. And then towards the end of the service, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together, which is a chance for anyone who trusts and loves and wants to live for Jesus to come and celebrate what he has done for them. That's our hope as we've begun our service. God is beginning to help you fix your eyes on him. And here's another chance to do that now, because I'm going to invite Alex and Joe Bielby down to the front. Today is our first week of Advent, and so we're going to be lighting our first Advent candle. Alex is going to be doing the lighting. Joe is going to be doing the reading. Listen carefully to the words. Prepare the way of the Lord. We light this candle in hope. The hope of our coming Saviour, Jesus. Prepare then the way of the Lord. The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, remember where we began? Fixing our eyes on something, someone bigger, something better. Again, I pray that God is doing that in your heart and mind as we continue on through our service. Uh, we're going to invite Jane to come up now and lead us in our prayers. Let's just join in prayer. Holy Spirit. Please inspire our minds to grasp the wonderful width, length, height, and breadth of God's love as we prepare to celebrate Christ's coming to our world as a baby. Help us to hear your words of blessing and hope, comfort, and peace today so that we may worship you in this time together. Lord, we have much to thank you for, and we thank you especially for the Christmas craft events this past week for all the preparation and for the team who ran it. 
We give thanks for the encouragement it brought and for the ongoing impact on the lives who were there. Lord, we ask for your blessing on the many Christmas events and services this month, the contact lunch, the carol service, and carols in the square. We ask that through What's Life All About in the New Year, that people would meet and trust Jesus. And we pray for wisdom for Colin and Vicky's future plans, that God would guide them to where he wants them to be. Lord, we pray for grieving families, for Alan Gibson and Wendy Hopcraft at the Christmas time, and for Kathy Andrews' mum in this tragic accident and the loss of her stepfather, and for Kathy and family as they prepare to travel. We also pray for Madeleine and Catherine Poot in the sudden loss of their much-loved mum Elaine. May your peace be on them all. We pray for the memorial service this evening, that it would be a blessing, bringing comfort and peace to weary hearts. Lord, we thank you for the missionary families you've placed in our care. And we pray today for the Koo family working in Bible translation in Germany. Please give René wisdom in his leadership role, which brings much responsibility. And we pray that Simone will have peace and joy in her supporting role for Johan in his last year at school and for Joseph's spiritual growth. Lord, in the midst of our thankfulness and our many needs, we pray we will rest in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I invite Sid to give us a Bible reading. The reading this morning is from Micah, chapter 5, and it's the first six verses. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, one of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of her brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. When the Assyrian invades our land and marches through our fortresses, we will raise against him seven shepherds and even eight leaders of men. They will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when he invades our land and marches into our borders. Morning, everybody. Let's uh, pray as we come to, to God's word. Father God, as we've heard already this morning, you are a God who always keeps his promises. You give us a, a wonderful hope, a certainty, because it comes from you. And so, Lord, we do pray this morning as we look at this promise of a ruler that we would uh, trust in that promise 
and be amazed by who this ruler is and what he came to do. So Lord, speak to us now, we pray. Reassure us, encourage us, and comfort us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, it was Remembrance Sunday, and it is the tradition for the the Prime Minister and all the former Prime Ministers uh, who are still living to come together at the Cenotaph in London. Uh, This was a picture of that occasion. With all the changes in recent years, there were eight of them all together, the largest number in history, given that we've had uh, four different Prime Ministers in the last four years. Change in leadership is not limited to politics. Uh, Football clubs are notorious for changing uh, their managers when things are not going well. Uh, Watford is uh, the leading club here. 14 different managers in the last 12 years. So why does leadership change so, so frequently? Well, the answer is because human leaders are flawed. Whether that's in politics, in business, in schools, in sport or in the church. Human leaders are imperfect. And even those we hold up in high regard, uh, such as Winston Churchill, believed by some to be the greatest leader in this country of all time, uh, considered a great wartime leader, great oratory skills, but um, was he the best person to rebuild the country after the war? Some of the questions, some of those other skills. And so if we put our trust in human leaders we will be disappointed. We're looking at the book of uh, Micah in this Advent period. Um, The situation of the country of Israel at that time, around 700 BC, was pretty desperate, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. They too had imperfect leaders who failed in their responsibility. But the great hope we read about in the book of Micah is that God promised that he would send a perfect leader. The king of kings, the one who rules over the universe with justice and compassion. And he would bring a message of hope for his people. Jesus Christ is the one who would come to rescue his people. He would come to establish his kingdom and then return one day to complete his work and gather his people to live with him in everlasting peace. And that's the the story we looked at last week, wasn't it? That everlasting peace peace. But throughout this book, Micah switches between his present day, uh, the future, the first coming of Jesus, and the far future, the second coming of Jesus one day. And having described the last days in the first part of chapter four, he comes back to his present day in the second half of that chapter. And there are three sections there, which each start with the word now, which describe the desperate state of Israel then, but follow it with a message of hope. And the third of those starts in chapter 5, verse 1. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But it carries on in verse 2, and the next five verses give us a message of hope. And that's what we're going to concentrate on This morning, the hope comes in the form of a promise of a new ruler who will come from Bethlehem. So what do these verses tell us about this new ruler? And what difference can he make to our lives today? Well, the three things I'm going to focus on 
I'm going to use three song titles to help us remember them. Uh, first <clears throat> is that he will be a great ruler from a small place. I don't know if any of you can guess the song or the carol linked to that. Um, it is, of course, a little town of Bethlehem. Have a look at verse 2 there. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. There are certain insignificant places that become significant because of some event. When I mention the names Soham or Lockerbie or Enniskillen, I'm sure some of you will remember the tragic events linked with those places that made them famous. I don't think there are many people in this country who will not have heard of the town of Bethlehem. But as it says here, Bethlehem was small. When Joshua divided up the promised land amongst the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, he listed 115 towns in Judah. Bethlehem didn't even make it onto that list. It wasn't so much a town as a tiny village. But a little village of Bethlehem doesn't quite work as a carol, does it? It was small, and yet God chose it as a significant place. Even before the birth of Jesus, if we go back 300 years before that, it was to Bethlehem that God sent the judge, uh, the prophet Samuel, because God had chosen one of the sons of Jesse who lived in Bethlehem to be the new king of Israel. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem and all the, the, the sons of Jesse are presented to him. The first one uh, is presented and he says, surely this must be the new king of Israel. But God said to him this, he said, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. After seven sons have been presented to him one by one, um, and God hasn't accepted any of them, Samuel says to Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, there's still the youngest, uh, Jesse answered, he's tending the sheep. Well, the youngest, called David, is, uh, is summoned, and the Lord says, rise and anoint him, this is the one. So we read, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Not only was David from an insignificant place called Bethlehem, he was the youngest and least impressive of the sons of Jesse. But God described him as a man after his own heart and chose him to become the great king of Israel, the one who wrote many of the Psalms that we have today. However, David was still an imperfect human leader. He was guilty of adultery. He was guilty of murder in his life. But before David died, God made a promise to him in 2 Samuel 7, that from David's offspring, there would come a ruler who would reign forever. That was the promise we read earlier from uh, uh, Luke 1, promise given to, to Mary. But this is what it says in 2 Samuel. It says, the Lord declares to you 
that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. The one he was talking about, of course, was Jesus. Jesus himself had very humble beginnings. He was born to a poor couple in a little village called Bethlehem, which they had to travel miles to. And when they got there, there was no guest room available, so Jesus ended up being born amongst the animals. And after being born, he was wrapped in a a snug M&S baby grow and placed in the comfortable cot from John Lewis. And of course he wasn't. He was wrapped in cloth and placed in an animal's feeding trough. But just as David was chosen from the little town of Bethlehem to be the ruler of Israel, so Jesus would come from the little town of Bethlehem and be exalted as the king of kings. Why is this so typical, though, of God's way of working? Why does he choose simple people in simple places to achieve his glorious purposes? The answer is given in the book of 1 Corinthians, where it says this, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. The world values those who are wise and strong and you can add to that the wealthy, the charismatic, those who've achieved success in business, the arts, in music, in sports, in politics, or even just in their career. The world values powerful nations and cities above rural communities. But to God, none of that is important. When Jesus came, the Roman Empire was the strongest power in the world. But the hope Jesus brought for the world started with a small bunch of his followers in an insignificant place. Since then, the Roman Empire and many others that have followed that have have all disappeared. Whilst Jesus' kingdom has spread to every part of the world. So if you're a Christian here this morning and you're feeling insignificant by worldly standards, take heart. God is more interested in a small group of ordinary Christians in a little place called Long Crendon who love the Lord who seek to to live by his word, then all the successful people in this world can offer those who are seeking their own glory. The one you follow is the eternal king of kings. Maybe you feel insignificant in the church. You think there are lots of people here who are more clever than I am and more wealthy, better at speaking up front than I am. Maybe that makes you feel discouraged because... In comparison, you think your gifts are small and you have nothing to offer. Remember, God chose the little town of Bethlehem. And that is how God works, not in the humanly spectacular or impressive, but through the ordinary 
and the lowly. And why is that? So all the glory goes to him. His power is made perfect in our weakness. So the first thing we learn about the ruler is that he's a great ruler, the king of kings, and he comes from a small place. Secondly, he will shepherd his people. No prizes for guessing which song we'll be singing later during communion. We've said how God chooses the weak to shame the strong. And one of the characters who was strong in worldly terms at the time uh, that Jesus was born was King Herod. If you're familiar with the Christmas story, you may recall that when the wise men came from the east following a star, they stopped off at Herod's palace. And they asked him, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Well, that sent Herod in a bit of a panic, thinking he's got a rival now for the throne. He gets all their Jewish leaders together, and he asks them, where was this king meant to be born? And they quoted from this book of Micah. Those were the scriptures they had available to them at the time. They quoted these words. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So that is confirmation that Jesus is the one Micah had prophesied about 700 years earlier. We've looked already at where Jesus came from, the little town of Bethlehem. And now we find out that he will come as a shepherd king. And just as David was called from tending his flocks to tending a different flock, the people of Israel, so the Messiah The son of David came as a shepherd to tend his flock. So verse 4 continues there. Have a look down. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. So what's the significance of that description? Well, the image this conveys is of power, And strength, he will stand in protection of his flock. No harm will come to them because of the power that he has to defeat any enemy. Nigel quoted earlier from the Comfort and Joy devotional book that was given to to people for for Advent. And I wasn't aware he was going to quote that verse, but I'd like to come back to that verse again. Because in that passage, we start with the words, see... The sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. But then it continues, as Nigel read, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Jesus has mighty arms, but how does he use them? To gather and carry the lambs. Jesus brings together a combination of power and majesty with compassion. And Matt Sells writes in the devotion, if you are a Christian believer, no matter how small and frail you may feel, know that you are held in these mighty and powerful arms and no one can snatch you away. He carries on, no matter how weak and sinful you may be, God uses these arms not to hold you at a distance, but to bring you close 
and embrace you. You are now and ever will be held close to his heart. Jesus will protect and he will care for his flock. He will also feed and provide for his flock. He will give them what they need. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. You may feel that nobody really knows you. Nobody really understands you. They just don't get you. You've not really got anybody who you can talk to. Which can be really isolating, can't it? Well, if that's you, look more closely at that middle part of that verse. Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Jesus and the Father are both God. They've always been together. In their divine nature, there is nothing that they don't know about each other. They're totally united in everything they do. And that is how well Jesus knows you. Because he made you in his image. He sees everything you do. He knows what's going on in your head. He can see the good and the bad. So you don't need to try and hide things from him. He wants you to come to him and ask you for help. And not only does he know your needs, he came to do something about them. Jesus continues, and I lay down my life for my sheep. He made the greatest sacrifice anyone can make. He laid down his life for the sheep, which is what we'll be remembering shortly as we take the Lord's Supper together. What did that achieve? Well, he stood in our place and he declared himself guilty so we could be declared innocent. He took the penalty we deserve for our sin so that we could go free. And then he was raised to life. He's resulted at the right hand of the Father where he rules over the universe as the eternal king. Which is great. But you may ask, what difference does that make to my life today? Which brings us on to the the final point. He will make his people secure. Another word for secure is fast, which may help you guess what the, the song is that goes with this one. He will hold me fast. Verse 4 continues, And they, that is his flock, will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. We'll come back to that in a minute, because before the people are able to enjoy that promise, have a look at verse 3 in your Bibles. Because there it says, Israel will be abandoned. That is part of the punishment they will receive for rejecting God, living a life of idolatry and injustice. Israel, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, will be defeated. The people will be taken into exile and live in captivity. They'll live in a a country that worships other gods. Another way of understanding what it means to be abandoned is for, for God to withdraw his loving protection and to give people over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to allow them to pursue their 
destructive ways. But the period of abandonment will be limited. Why? Because God has made an unconditional promise that he will send a ruler to rescue the world. And he will keep that promise irrespective of how far his people stray away from him. And so it says in verse 3, Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. That's referring to the birth of Jesus, which will happen through a human mother, Mary, someone else who is insignificant in the eyes of the world, but whom God exalts. The birth of Jesus will be good news for humankind because Jesus will live a perfect life. He'll grow up to be a man who is willing to be abandoned for our sakes. As Jesus takes the sin of mankind on himself at the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? He'll be separated from his father, the one to whom he's been united since before time began. But that event will open up the kingdom to all who will return to God, who will repent of abandoning him and who will turn back to him and seek his forgiveness. Just as the prodigal son returned to his father and was welcomed with open arms, so too they will be welcomed back. That invitation will be open to people of all nations as they return to Christ and will become brothers and sisters in him. That invitation is open to everybody here, people maybe who strayed away, who've left the Lord and gone their own way. Everybody's welcome back to him and they will be received with open arms. And the promise for us when we do that is that they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. What is it that makes you feel secure? I guess it depends on the situation. Maybe if you're in a car, it could be a seatbelt. If you're in a boat, it might be a life jacket. If you're jumping out of an aeroplane, a parachute. But helpful as these things may be, they don't guarantee our security. As we heard from Michael the other week, whose parachute failed to open properly and nearly resulted in tragedy. God doesn't guarantee our physical security in this life. Living in a fallen world, there is always a danger that we will become victims of an attack, of a natural disaster, or a health issue. And in fact, Jesus said to his followers, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. As followers of Jesus, we should expect suffering in this world until Jesus comes again and makes all things new, when there will be no more suffering. Only then will we be perfectly secure. But the security we have in Christ, and we can expect in this life, is first and foremost a spiritual security. And we pray that will also lead to an emotional security. Because to be secure in Jesus is to be secure in his love. 
We've heard already how Jesus showed his love for his people by laying down his life for them. And nothing can separate us from that love. And if we're secure in the love of Christ, then that can help us deal with some of the common forms of social insecurity. Most of which are to do with a feeling of of inadequacy, a feeling of, of rejection. Maybe we constantly worry about being disliked, not fitting in with with others. Maybe we avoid social situations because we feel uncomfortable or or anxious. Maybe we continually compare ourselves with others. Maybe we don't like to share or be open about our thoughts because we are afraid of what people will think about us. However inadequate, however unpopular, However unworthy we feel, God still loves us. He will remain with us. He'll be faithful to us. He will never abandon us. He will hold us fast. He will hold us secure. Jesus said in John 10, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The great ruler from Bethlehem has come already. He's come to shepherd. He's come to lay down his life for his sheep. He's come to make us secure in him. Nothing can separate us from his love. And no one will snatch us out of his hand. Let's have a moment of quiet just to reflect on what we've heard and to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Maybe if you do feel a sense of inadequacy or insecurity, maybe ask the Lord to reassure you of his love for you. Just a moment of quiet. Father God, we thank you that you fulfilled your promise to David that from his offspring would come a powerful king from the small town of Bethlehem. One who would reign forever. Thank you that Jesus is that king. That he came to shepherd his people. He came to gather us in his arms and carry us close to his heart. Thank you that he knows us just as you know him. And he knows you. There is nothing we need to hide from him. And so we come now in a moment of quiet to confess our sins to you, both the things that we are aware of and the things we are unaware of. Moment of quiet. Father, thank you that as the good shepherd, Jesus laid down his life for us so that we can be forgiven for our sins and freed from our guilt and fear. And thank you that this bread And wine, remind us of that wonderful sacrifice. We thank you for raising Jesus to life again and exalting him as the perfect eternal king to whom we submit our lives. Let's say together the Lord's Prayer, the modern version, which you'll find on the screen. Let's say together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. This supper is open to all those who put their trust in Jesus as their saviour and committed to follow him as their Lord. If you're not yet at that point, well, it's great that you're with us here, but uh, do please just let their cup and their plate pass as they, as they come by. I don't feel in any way embarrassed at all. As usual, the bread is gluten-free and the wine is non-alcoholic grape juice. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave him thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We'll eat the bread as it is served to us. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Please keep hold of the cups as they're served and then we'll drink together as a sign of our unity in Christ. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. Gracious God, we praise you for what you've given and for what you've promised us here. You've made us one with all your people in heaven and on earth. You've fed us with the bread of life and renewed us for your service. So now we give ourselves to you and we ask that our daily living may be part of the life of your kingdom and that our love may be your love reaching out into the life of the world through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for joining with us. Again, there will be teas and coffees available at the end of the service. Please do take the opportunity to talk to each other, have meaningful conversation, ask each other what God has said to you through our service today. There is a prayer team available in the corner. Please, again, don't leave without doing business with God. Speak to him and speak with other people if that would be helpful, if they would pray with you. Join us tonight for our memorial service, six o'clock here. Let me finish by again reminding you of where we began, fixing our eyes on something, someone bigger and better. And I pray that you've seen that that someone is Jesus, the one who will be a great ruler from a small place, the one who will shepherd his people, the one who will make his people secure. Let me end by reading those words again from Micah 5 and let this be our closing prayer as you listen to these words. Out of you, Bethlehem, will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. 
He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. Amen.